0: I'm from Louisville, Kentucky and I guess to say how my parents met I have to go back to her first marriage and I should say she ran away from home when she was 16. She very much wanted to pursue men and have a family of her own and she was rebellious. So she ran away to Indiana and there she met her first husband. I don't remember how long they were together. But she had her first daughter with him. Uh, and it was his best friend that she met through him <laughs> that became my father. So she got a divorce with her initial husband and remarried my father. He was in and out of prison. I'm not sure when their divorce finalized. It can't have been more than five years. She started redating pretty quickly after he went back to prison. They must have gotten a divorce while he was still in jail. She remarried when I was seven years old. I really don't remember him at all, physically. From what I was told, he he did one thing for my sister and I. That's something else I should say. My, My mother had two daughters with him. She'd said that he had bought a swing set and put it together with his own two hands. And aside from that, I don't really remember seeing him. You know, after he passed away, my mother gave me a box of letters that he had written from prison, along with a recorded tape from an answering machine that had messages. It was to my sister and I. We were still toddlers, so we didn't understand anything at the time. We moved to Denver, Colorado, actually, because he was being released from prison when I was eight. My mother changed her name. She had already been remarried for a while but she changed her first name as well as her last. I started going by my new stepfather's last name. And it wasn't even a year that we were out here that we found out he had gone back into prison where he had overdosed on heroin and died of septic shock anemia. My mother was really distraught. I remember sitting by my closet door when she recounted what had happened to my sister and they sunk to the floor together, they held each other, they cried. And they both looked at me and they said, "You know, Why aren't you crying? Why aren't you upset? Don't you feel anything? It's really difficult to summon emotion for someone that you've never really met, that you have no investment in, and is really just an idea. I had thought maybe there was something wrong with me. <laughs> I had thought... uh You know, what kind of a person am I? What does that say about me if I can be so cold and uncaring about someone that I share blood with? But when I got older and my mother was sharing more stories about how he had abused her, even the circumstances of my own conception, it became really difficult to empathize with the sorrow of his loss. Uh, What was a little disappointing was that When I was born, and for a few years, we lived in a house that was owned by his mother. And for some reason, she despised us from what my mother had said. You know, would call child support every now and then and say that, you know, my mother wasn't being a good mother, which maybe was true. But she did suffer from dementia later on in her life, so I'm not sure she was stable either. But eventually she kicked us out of the house. So, I think it's, it's not just a relationship that I'm missing with my father, but sort of an acceptance from his family. And I guess that was there at some point. And then it was sort of withdrawn. You now I was told that there was a trust fund set up by his father when we were born. We were both given these twin bears when we were born. Uh, by his parents, which I don't have anymore. And we don't have the trust fund anymore. No one knows what happened to it. My mother had said it was put in charge by my father's mother and that she probably spent it all up. But it's something else, just like his legacy, that's that's gone forever and I'll never know what happened to it. Well, my sister was extremely rebellious against all the men that my mother dated and the stepfather that we had later on which is funny because he was so much more present he was so much more of a parental figure than my mother ever was when they married he had said don't worry i'm going to do the work you know you don't have to go to work and he was pretty inconsistent in terms of being employed Uh, we moved once a year or more and he was always in and out of jobs but he was always employed and he did provide for the family he came to every band concert for me, and I took to him immediately. I mean, I I wanted a father figure, and I saw good things in him, and that he really tried to make us happy. And he tried so hard to buy my sister over because she was she was always acting out against him. You know, if not uh, a passive disinterest, then a raging <laughs> storm against him but he would buy her CD players, you know, toys, and she just wasn't interested. She ended up following kind of the same path my mother did. She ran away from home at about 15 or 16, dropped out of school, actually hitched on a train and went to Indiana. Like, shockingly, like the story of my mother, she went to Indiana. I think she grew out of it a lot sooner and she didn't search for father figures along the way like I did. I knew what I was looking for. That I wanted someone responsible and kind and trustworthy in my life. And she was angry. She looked for different things. And I don't know if I was spared that just because I felt less loss. You know, it was, it was always an absence for me. There was never anything that uh, I had and then I lost i had the love and trust of him that every child does uh when they think their dad is superman things started changing when i was i think 10 years old his schizophrenia had started developing and becoming pretty present we didn't know what it was at the time but i remember all these strange occurrences that started happening rather frequently started hanging out with you know 19 and 20 year olds doing drugs like mushrooms and acid which can actually accelerate schizophrenia as well and then just these very strange occurrences like i came home from school one day and there were you know 18 or 20 glass aquarium tanks in our living room full of different fish for no reason i could not understand it a couple days later, I come home from school and all the fish are dead on the lawn, like they've just been thrown out in some strange rage. Their fights, uh, my parents' fights, became more frequent. Every now and then, my mother would tell me to hide in the closet with the phone and you know, call the police for a domestic issue. But he was never really dangerous. He would break down and cry sometimes for, you know, I'm not sure what the reason was and I would try to comfort him. He was very childlike, actually. I guess he was pretty inconsistent now when I think about his work history. I know he cheated on my mother. But I thought he was just such a good person because he cared. And he was emotional. And he cared what I thought. And that was so rare, it seemed, among adults. My mother had a history of, you know, putting me down. Sometimes she would make fun of me, call me names. And he never did that. But then towards the end, you know, when schizophrenia was becoming a problem and I think my mother was just done with it, you know, she called for a divorce, sort of coerced my sister and I to write letters to the judge that said we didn't want to see him because he was a danger. Of course, my sister had no trouble with that. She was happy. I was brokenhearted and he had nowhere to go. I remember passing him for a few months. His car was at the park where we lived by and he was sleeping in his car every night and I kept thinking you know how can you abandon him like this he's got nowhere to go you know what about your vows you had said in sickness and in health and really I think she just gave up on it because she wanted to be the one taken care of he eventually went back to Kentucky to his family and I couldn't get a hold of him for several years I called his family a few times and his mother very much blamed my mother for what happened to him. Maybe not unjustly, but she took it out on me. You know, She would scream and yell at me on the phone and I would say, I just want to speak to my dad. I know he's not my biological dad, but he's the only dad that I'll ever have and he helped raise me. And it wasn't until I was halfway through college. And I had started speaking to my mother again, that I got his contact info, and I spoke to him on the phone. Uh, Later on, I actually went to Kentucky to visit him. And it was probably the most heart-aching disappointment that I've ever experienced. I think every child gradually understands, Okay, my father's not Superman. My father's not perfect. But it was so much at once that I realized all of his bad habits, his just childishness, the way he drove his car to try to impress women on the street, how he spoke about women, that he just really hadn't grown up. And I still cared about him. But now I pitied him. And I had wished he was more like the, the person I remembered. You know, I didn't really understand much of my mother growing up. You know, I really think she thought of her children as extensions of whichever man she was with. She'd often told me, you know, I would have had 20 children with your father if I could have, but she wasn't really interested in being a mother. I remember my babysitters, whom she used to drop us off for the weekend, sometimes a week at a time. I remember them so well that I thought that they were my parents for a long time, but I don't remember my mother very much. And so it wasn't really an issue, I think, that I didn't have a present father. Uh, What was she doing with this time? She later told me, you know, I really liked to date. I'd go out to clubs, and I I was looking for another man. I think she felt a little guilty about it later on. Actually, my grandpa did visit us once in Kentucky. I must have been pretty young. I don't remember. But I suppose the first thing I said when I saw him, I said, uh, are you my father? And he laughed, my mother recalls, and says he looked a little awkward. And he said, no, I'm your grandfather. (laughs) So it must have been somewhere present in my mind that there was a figure missing. Well, for a long time, I, I didn't know any better. I figured this is what families do. This is all right. This is fine. As I got older, it became less and less okay just her her lack of presence, her lack of interest and investment in my life. I think it was in high school when I started noticing how other families were supporting their, their kids. And then I started to get a little angry myself. At this point, my sister had come back. You know, she said she was changed. I must have been a sophomore or a junior in high school. But she says, you know, I've changed. I want to live with you for a while mom and and suddenly I felt like I was the outcast they could sort of commiserate with the similar lifestyle choices that they had made they understood one another but nobody really understood me I loved school, I loved learning, I knew exactly what I wanted in life I knew I was going to graduate high school, I was going to be the first to do it I was going to be the first to go to college and you know, I was I was going to take care of myself. And, you know, I didn't need a man to do it. <laughs> but it created a big gap between us. They were getting closer. I was getting further away. My sister goes off on her own for a while. And actually, by the time I'm in my senior year, at this point, I'm just so fed up. My mother has... We've been away for most nights. It's almost ritualistically, wherever we move, it's always the next-door neighbor somehow that she ends up falling in love with and having this terrible tirade where it's on again, off again, and the only times I felt she really confided in me and shared in my company was when it was off and it was bad, and she needed someone to comfort her. And so I'd say, you know, you got to leave him. You deserve better. You know, all you do is smoke and drink when you're with him and you don't like yourself. But there comes a point where you get tired of trying to support someone that isn't making the right choices for themselves and isn't interested in helping you, especially when you're the child and that shouldn't be your place. So I think it was around my 16th birthday when she was with the neighbor and my friends were there with me and you know i had cleaned the whole house i was so happy to have friends over and my mother had said something like i wish it were your birthday every day and then you clean the house and i think something inside of me was was so upset because she wasn't even staying around to to wish me happy birthday she was with this terrible guy she later ended up going to jail for a short period of time because she was convinced he was cheating on her. She slashed his tires, left him a lot of threatening messages. And the cops came in the morning. They were knocking on the door, waiting for her. My mother was running around the house trying to get ready whatever she felt she could. And she told me, I want you to hide in here. Don't answer the door. You know, the police will take you away. They'll take you into custody or into a foster home, and you don't want that, do you? I didn't answer the door. And I still look back on that, and I really wish that I had. I really wish that she would have had to suffer the consequences of her actions and understand how it affected the people around her. I understood later on that I was protecting her so much from the things that she was doing wrong against me, And that she would never really understand what i was experiencing so finally because i'm so fed up (laughs) i asked my my friend and this is just at the beginning of my senior year i said could i live with you i lived on their couch for a year and i still remember the day that i started moving out and i think my mother finally was afraid she had thought you know i'm losing the people around me because I'm pushing them away. It started with the physical separation when I was in high school, uh, but that really came back to haunt me my first year of college. I had never really been so alone. You know, there was really no one up there for me. I was in a different city. I didn't have a car. You know, there was no way that I could transport myself around. And the network of friends that I had. You know just weren't available to me so i was overwhelmed and i started spending more and more time by myself in my dorm room i started skipping classes it just became too difficult for me and that's when i met my first serious crush and first serious boyfriend i left the school year early actually because every day all i was thinking about was suicide i thought i can't do this and i just need to get out i need to protect myself from doing something that's going to end everything. And I hated myself for it. You know, school was really what I identified with. It's how I defined myself. I wanted to be a scholar. I knew I could be good at it. And I left on a four-year ride scholarship because I just didn't have enough support. And it was unhealthy to attach myself that way to uh, a person that I barely knew. You know, I moved in with him and for a while it was actually pretty good. We were together almost three years and then it started going south and, you know, again, I had nobody. I had nobody to turn to so I, I opened that old chapter of my life and I reached out to my mother and I had said, you know, this relationship is ending. I have nowhere to go. I don't have enough money to start on my own. I'm still in school. And she had said, you can live with me, you know, we'll get a two bedroom apartment and, you know, I would like the chance to make up for the fact that I didn't help you enough when you were a kid. So we did that for a while. And then I started really being able to see the logical fallacies and how she manipulated conversations, the relationship. She really wanted to be a victim in every situation. And then just the communication tactics that she used, extremely passive-aggressive, you know, where she would be silent and really angry towards you. All these facial features that she did, like jutting out her lower jaw when she was upset, that really just still make me on edge. I'm so anti-confrontation that it makes me sick to my stomach to have to try to appease this. But uh, what it was that really caused the end of us being able to live together was as simple as a dish in the sink. (laughs) Uh, My mother's always been a neat freak. In fact, I remember once when I was a kid, she had said, you know, if there's anything on the floor in the morning that you kids haven't cleaned up, I am donating it all. And she did. (laughs) She put everything in a black trash bag and we had no toys, And we took her seriously after that and I've always been a neat freak after that so she sees this bowl and the dish and she just throws a temper tantrum and I am trying so hard to control myself to control my breathing to not start crying I'm thinking we can fix this we're adults but she wasn't having any of it she wanted an argument and she wanted me to be wrong And she started pulling out things about my father. You know, he raped me, he abused me. You know, he pushed me down the stairs and that's why I went into early labor with you. I felt like she was telling me these things to punish me. You know, I'm not sure exactly what she had meant by telling me these in the middle of a fight, except that she wanted to hurt me. I decided to move out that very same day I even called for a police escort. I had said, you know, she has a history of violence. She's an alcoholic. Luckily, she stayed in her room the whole time while I moved out. I called my friends. They've always been there for me when I need them in an emergency. So two friends come over. They help me pack everything up, which wasn't that much, and put it into my rodeo. And then I was staying, you know, between friends on couches. That's not really what ended it for me being able to communicate with her though what ended it was she started trying to commiserate with the boyfriend i had just broken up with she was sending him letters saying you know i know she's double-crossed you she's double-crossed me she's you know insert expletives (laughs) and trying to hook up with him and it was just so unforgivable and my sister does the same thing she friends him on social media and they both offer him their comfort and support and say I'm here for you if you need me and nobody said that to me I tried writing my mother a series of emails I think very long and hard about how I craft the wording in my emails you know I used words like egalitarian I want us to be egalitarian towards each other and in the end, it, it really didn't mean anything. She was furious and instead starts insulting the language that I use, saying, you think you know so much. You think that because you went to college, you're better than me. You know, it's obvious she was suffering from some self-esteem issues when it came to education. And I was just trying so hard to, to make things right, but she wasn't interested. You know, She wanted to be the victim, so finally I decided, you know, I'm not going to try anymore. And, you know, she really did push away everyone. What's ironic is that shortly after, my sister went through the same experience. She went through her first divorce and had said, you know, Mom, I have nowhere to go. You know, you've got the second bedroom. Could we be roommates for a while while I get on my feet? And it was the exact same thing somehow that happened. It was about dishes that she freaked out. And my sister had to move out. And my mother made a pass at her ex-husband. As I'm getting older, I notice more and more facial features coming out that remind me of her. And it, I really hate it. <laughs> and I wish I could change it. Even things as small as the way I clear my throat, it sounds just like my mother. And I hate that. That's, that's not something I can decide on. It's, it's something that's been given to me. And I know there's things that my father must have given me, too. I'm the only one in my family with brown hair. I'm the only one with darker skin and you know, more stoutly built. But I can't help but feel that I've gotten a lot of bad traits from both sides. I'd like to imagine my father was a good man when he wasn't using heroin. You know, she recalled a story of when they first got together that they sat under trees and He read to her out of Lord of the Rings, which is funny. That's that's what my my sweetheart now does, Um, which makes me think about that. Maybe he wasn't all bad. But, you know, people who abuse substances aren't who they used to be. So I think even if he were alive, unless he had somehow cleaned himself up, I wouldn't want to know him. It was the same reason why... For many other reasons, I stopped speaking to my mother and my sister because they were both substance abusers, and you can't be a good person while you're an addict. With my bio dad, mostly I just remember my mother telling stories about him. This was after her divorce with my stepdad, and she really seemed to like to reminisce about him, although I can't imagine why, being as whenever she was angry, all she would talk about was how he abused her. She had a few photos of him. Mostly they were from behind, of him shirtless on a canoe, fishing very much like the backwater Indiana man he was. (laughs) You know, she says that with his last sentence, both my sister and I were there and that he was in an orange jumper and shackles and he held us on his knee after he had begged the judge can I at least hold my children again? And my mother had told me this story so many times, and maybe I even dreamt of it. And I get the feeling that maybe I remember part of it, but sometimes you you don't know. Maybe it's it's been suggested so many times that you can just imagine it. But I guess aside from that possibility, I don't have any firsthand uh, memories of him. You know, with my stepdad, I've got I've got plenty of memories. Um, he used to do this silly radio talk show voice sometimes that would always crack me up. Welcome to 92.3! <laughs> I mean, he was such a kid, and maybe it was because that I was a kid that I thought he was hilarious. I guess I remember more good things than bad. I still speak to him sometimes, um, mostly through chat, I think, it's nice to be able to keep a little bit of distance. Uh, he was trying to convince me to move out there to take care of him. And it's difficult to think, you know, how much do I owe my parents? What should I, what should I give up for them? I still haven't resolved it. Um, I think every child feels a certain amount of guilt that they should be doing more. It's it's difficult to say. You know, on the one hand, he gave me something in my childhood that nobody else could. But on the other, I don't think I'm equipped to be able to help him the way he needs help. And my father did want to see us while he was in prison. That was actually on his recorded tape that I received after his death, you know, saying, I I hope you'll bring the kids by. Uh, My name was always last. It was almost like he couldn't quite remember my name. (laughs) And I'm not sure how important it was to him that he had children. But he did remember us, and he wanted to see us. I mean, I was older when I received them, but for a while I I carried them around with me as if it was some secret token, some, you know, forgotten message that... Someone out there cared for me and, and loved me and wanted to know me. And I guess I became disenchanted as I grew up, you know. It was the it was letters from someone who was in the prison system and probably looking for any outlet and any communication that he could receive. I don't remember much of what they said. I do know that the edges are torn and it's been folded and refolded so many times, and the ink is a little runny. Because for a while, I was really interested in them. They were, they were a fascinating artifact. It had said things like, "You know, I, I hear you're going to school now. Maybe your mother will let you write me. Um, how is your cursive?" Things like that. Uh, nothing of heavy substance, but he did want to know about me. And the tape, the messages were to my mother. Not all of them were good messages. Some of them were, I really wish you would unlock the door and let me come in. Some of these messages were before he went back to jail. Will you please let me come get my things? Tell the girls I love them. Things like that. Yeah, most of it sounded like squabbles between him and my mother. (laughs) uh but he did have a nice voice i remember that a little bit of the southern drawl which i managed to escape but uh, he sounded like he lost a lover which he did you know it's a dead end there's there's no other routes that lead off from it and there's nothing more i can gain from them so i haven't revisited them in a long time there's There's no new information. There's no hidden messages. And I guess I'm not as sentimental as I used to be. Well, I think it's kind of funny that I still have his last name. Well, and the name he gave me. And while I don't think a good person is, you know, behind that, it's a name that I can't imagine myself losing. If I were to remarry, I wouldn't change my last name. Um, because it is such a heavy identifier for myself. My sister is actually the same way, but for different reasons. She always felt, you know, he's my true father, and I want to do right by him in honoring his name. And for me, it's... I've made it my own, and I'm not going to give it away. Um, For most of my life, though, my mothers had different last names, which is kind of funny, and probably says something about our relationship, and that... She was chameleon-like, she, she changed for whatever man she was with. But she wasn't one of us.